Hello and welcome listeners to another very exciting episode of The Colette Stuff. This is the Story Screen Presents exclusive podcast where two very silly people get together and watch literally every single thing Tony Collette has been in. I am your host for this episode, Bernadette Gorman-White, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Burge. Hello. We are both wearing the same color uh, upper apparel, and it's very fun. Yeah. We're both wearing kind of like a mint green today. Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know if that speaks to the films and television program that we're going to be speaking about today, but... No, this is just, for me, this is just the shirt that I wore yesterday, so I just picked it up, and I'm not going anywhere today, so... <laughs> Perfect. Laundry day. And uh, on, you know, two silly people doing this, it is a silly thing. I feel like the deeper we get into this, the more conversations I start to have with people as the outside world opens up, you know, I'll just mention that I watched this movie the other day and they'll be like why did you watch that and i was like oh well i'm doing a a podcast on every single tony collette movie we're watching every single one she's ever been in and <laughs> the the looks on people's faces they're just like why are you doing that and i'm like it's a lot of fun actually <laughs> well it's so weird too because i think when we started this project we didn't realize how many like films and television programs she's been in yeah. And so it became more daunting of a task the further we got in. But now we're getting to the like more up-to-date projects that she's been a part of. We're getting so, into stuff where I'm like, I'm at least familiar with the movie titles. Where I'm like, right. I haven't seen all of them, but I'm like, oh. And actually, this one had a bunch on there that I've been meaning to get to for quite some time. Both Tony Collette uh, related and also from the 70s. Uh, so it's kind of like, um, this was this was a fun one. Yeah, definitely. Um, just at the top of the episode, dear listeners, we will get into a quick list of the things we're going to cover today, just so you have an understanding of how this podcast is going to go. Uh, today, obviously, the title of the episode is Krampus. So we're going to end with Krampus, but we're going to start with the box trolls. We're going to move to a television program in Australia called The Devil's Playground. It was a miniseries, six episodes. We're going to talk about Blinky Bill the movie, Miss You Already, <laughs> Imperium, and Triple X, Return of Xander Cage, or how Mike Burge likes to refer to it, lowercase x, uppercase x, lowercase x, colon, Return of Xander Cage. Yeah. <laughs> That's or, how you pronounce it, right? Be, no, they can be, uh, those are kiss, x's are kisses, right? So it's... Uh, that's what it is. Return of Xander Cage. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of smooching going on in that movie. There, not not between the people that I would really like, but yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, we have uh, seven different projects we're going to talk about today. And since I'm finishing and I'm, I'm hosting with Krampus, I am also going to start us off. Um, so first we're going to get into the animated, is it pronounced Laika? Laika, yep. Laika. Yeah, the Leica project, uh, the Box Trolls, and Leica is very well known for Coraline and uh, Kubo and the Two Strings. They're a pretty big animation house that still feels like very independent when you're watching their films. Um, but very briefly, the Box Trolls is an animated film, came out in 2014. It is about a young boy who lives in this town that is 
run by the power of cheese, which I think is very interesting. And I like, mm. I'm, I'm here oh, for the cheese. I like it very much. <laughs> um, but in this fictional town, there are humans and then there are box trolls, which live uh, underground. And early on in this child's life, he is supposedly stolen by a box troll from the humans and he's he is raised as a box troll but later on you find out that he was being saved by the box trolls of course and it's about this young boy's uh discovery of finding out who he really is while also correcting the town's misled beliefs as to why the the box trolls are bad or evil um i had heard of this movie (laughs) going into this um, I had heard it was very sad and very touching. I had heard to get a box of tissues, although I never cried. Um, I did like this movie a lot. I will say that. But I feel like it kind of does a disservice to itself because there are so many things going on in this movie. Um, I don't really know thematically exactly what they were trying to focus on because it's pretty crazy. It's pretty all over the board. Yeah. Um how did you feel about this movie overall? Uh, I love Laika. This is actually one of the only ones I haven't seen. I didn't see the latest one about like the snowman or the Yeti or something like that. Mm. I can't remember what that one's called. It's with uh, I think it's Hugh Jackman and Zach Galifianakis are in it. Mm. Um, it's like abominable. I, uh, but there are so many snowman Yeti movies. I don't know yeah. which one that is. But I hadn't seen this one. was very excited to see it because it's got a stellar cast. Um but a lot like what a lot of Leica, a lot like a lot of Leica <laughs> movies, um, they're juggling a lot of things all at once because these things take a long time to make. And they kind of suffer from the problem that um, Pixar has never suffered from, but also like another animation studio, but has also like kind of become the bane of their existence, which is they're very good. Pixar is very good at isolating in on a specific theme and tone and matching that all throughout their movie. And those tones and themes change movie to movie. Leica is not really good at being able to isolate down a specific theme and sometimes even a tone. Like they really want to try and, and have their cake and eat it too. And like they want to do all the, like in the case of box trolls, they want to have this very like goofballicious like premise and world building and, and how these characters talk to each other and the jokes and everything. But they also want to have this gigantic, really kind of intense heart, like, you know, about like talking about abduction and prejudices and self-worth and all these different things. And it does slowly start to become jumbled because this one has so many characters that have a lot of screen time. Unfortunately, Tony Collette's character is not one of them. No. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those movies that just feels like, uh, I bet you some was cut out. Um, and like maybe they never made some of it. They just tried to tighten it up and in cutting out certain aspects of it, certain sub themes and everything kind of just became as important as the main theme, which I think is, um, be yourself and be nice to people. Or (laughs) I think that that's what it is. Yeah. And that, uh, a biological parent doesn't necessarily mean that that is your parent. You're, you mm. can be raised by someone. Someone could be your father that is not your biological father. And there's yeah. love and acceptance in that. Yeah. Yeah. He may have been your father, but he weren't your daddy. That kind of thing. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, I, I think this movie does have a lot of heart. I love Fish, who is like the box troll father for eggs, our lead yeah. character. For, <laughs> I think Forever Fish. Forever Fish. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I And I like the whole camaraderie between eggs and then the young girl who is the, the daughter of like the main lord of this mm-hmm. uh, society played by Elle Fanning. I think her character and eggs... I think they're great together. I like that she's also kind of gross and she's kind of obsessed with morbid things and it's never like pointed out like yeah, she's, she's a tomboy. They're just like, this is a little girl and this is how little girls are too. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I like that yeah. they never call it into question as to like why she is the way she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess my my biggest complaint about the film is the very obvious uh, queer coding of its villain. And I don't Mm -hmm. really understand why that was necessary. And especially later on, you'll see throughout the film that all of the men of this town, all of the higher up gentlemen who run this town, have this strange infatuation with this woman that comes to town. Mm -hmm. And you find out that the woman is also played by your lead villain, Snatcher. And Sir Ben Kingsley. Yes, Sir Ben Kingsley (laughs) playing Snatcher. And uh, then later on, it's like the the men are like felt like they had been baited and switched, which of course they had been. And that's a bad thing. But it was strange to have those like sexual implications and questions added into this movie. I don't know if this movie needed that. That was a part that I was like, that's another thing. It's like, yeah, they added like you you, you put like too much. That's too much. You don't need that much. Like it's and it is like. For me, it's a mixture of both. Like, I was kind of irked by it, but it also kind of brought me back to, like, you know, these aren't good things, but, like, the kind of weird queer coding that we never noticed in Disney movies and stuff like that for the villains, like Jafar. Mm-hmm. Come on. Like, we know we know what's going on there. And it's like, but when you're a kid, you don't think about it. And then this one just really kind of puts it up front. You know, there's kind of, like, Bugs Bunny and drag kind of stuff going on. I mean... right. I mean, I don't know about you. As soon as, what is it, like, Floor Floor or... Uh, Fru Fru. Fru Fru comes out. I'm like, that's Ben Kingsley. Yeah. That's the Ben Kingsley character. And Diana, we were wa- I was watching with my partner Diana, and she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, th- that's the same character. What do you look at the face? And she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, wait, is that supposed... Is that going to be a surprise? And then it was. And I was like, okay, sure, I guess so. But, like, it was just... It kind of just... It just seemed like he was in a disguise just for that scene, which I was like, okay, he's trying to get everybody to not like the box trolls and have it not just be him talking shit about it. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. But then they keep doing it and they keep having everybody be really, like as you said, infatuated with Fru-Fru. And you're just like, what is the movie doing with this right now? Is something going to come from this? And it doesn't. It really no. doesn't. It kind of, they kind of just drop it. And like there's a reveal and it's like, I was always fru-fru. And it's like, okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah. It was a strange thing to add to this film. Yeah. But, and uh, I think that's why I'm like, I don't like it. Not good. Not but good. also insane and just captivated me. Like for the wrong reasons. Like I was just like, I can't believe they're doing this. What the, what, what, what do they think they're doing? And on that, like, the thing that I am very disappointed with the most about the movie is the fact that the main character looks like Nicholas Holt, but is not voiced by Nicholas Holt. (laughs) He's voiced by 
Isaac Hempstead Wright, the famous superstar who portrayed Bran in the Game of Thrones oh. television series. Okay. Okay. But I know he looks exactly kid. like Nicholas Holt. Yeah. He does. I mean, just like waifish British boy. <laughs> That's perfect. That's Good. the perfect way. Yeah. Yes. That's Nicholas Holt. Um, I love, too, that there was uh, Richard Awadi in here. He's always great. Um, and then, of course, you have Simon Pegg and Nick Frost playing bit characters. Mm-hmm. Delightful. And then uh, Tracy Morgan really took me out. The fact that Tracy I Morgan. Because I didn't know who that, that was until the credits. I and I was like, excuse not. me? You 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 don't hear it when he only says one words, but when Tracy Morgan has a way of putting sentences together and connecting words in a different way. So once he starts saying like longer sentences, you're like, oh my God, that's Tracy Morgan, isn't it? Yeah, very funny. And Jared Harris as um, Lord yes. Portly Rind. Uh, big Jared Harris fan. I, I cried too. during this movie, not because of the movie, but because... When Jared Harris showed up, Diana referred to him as like, oh, is that Lane Price? Which is um, Jared Harris's character from Mad Men, who is a very sad character and makes Aww. me cry whenever I think of him. Oh, Poor Lane. Yeah. I just found out for the first time recently that Richard Harris, Jared Harris's father, hmm. sang MacArthur Park, if you're familiar with that song. And like he was like the first person to ever sing that song, which oh, kind of blew my mind. No, that. That's... Strange. Weird. Okay. Weird. Sure. And Richard <laughs> Harris got around. Yes, he did. Yeah. He was very he was, busy. Yeah, he was like uh, the slut of the thespian scene. He kind of did a lot of things, you know. All so, respect. All respect. He do him. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, he's He'll always be my Dumbledore. As much as I love Michael Gambon, it's whenever I think of Dumbledore, I think uh Richard Harris. It's got to be just a little bit more frail, you know? Yes. Michael Gambon always just looked too built. Yeah, and I think, too, that he seemed too happy. I think there's a sadness to Dumbledore that he kind of yeah. lacked. That, and the happiness needs to kind of come through a little bit. Like, you know, a little, like uh, like Robin Williams from Dead Poet Society. Something like yes. that, where it's like, there's like a goofiness that kind of comes out for the kids kind of thing. It, like, Michael Gambon looks like he could knock me out with a punch. Like, that's not right. what Dumbledore should look like. <laughs> no. And I'm a tough guy. I've gotten in some scraps. But, like, I'm pretty sure Michael Gambon could left hook me and I'd be out like a light. Probably so, yeah. <laughs> but Richard Harris wouldn't do that. He would he would he dismiss he dismiss me. Yes. Well, yeah. he would say, let's speak of this anger and let's get to the root of this problem. I have always loved you like a son. <laughs> Gladiator. Oh, Richard Harris. We should do uh <laughs> the Harris stuff. Oh my goodness. <laughs> he was alive a lot. Yes. So it would be a lot of movies. <laughs> Yeah, that would be quite the undertaking. But I'm sure they weren't, uh, like, juggling as many roles at the same time, where it seemed mm. like in modern, you know, history, it's very easy for actors to be in a couple films a year, especially yeah. if you're just tacking on a couple extra days in a studio recording for voiceover work. I mean, right. that's it. That's three movies in a year. I mean, and that's so. bringing it back to, like, I'm fairly certain a lot of this stuff was cut out because, like... I really can't see why you hired Tony Collette to do essentially one scene. Right. And it not even really be her. She's doing a great job again with like her voiceover work where yeah. it, it kind of sounds like her, but not really. So clearly she didn't get the role to be Tony Collette. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. she was just cast in this role as kind of almost like a 
Which we're seems weird because this is like we are in the Tony Collette is famous right now. Yes. And everybody in this movie is famous. And I just feel like there had to be a, a whole subplot with the mom and the daughter or the mom and the husbands or something had to have happened. And they were just like, ah, this is too busy. Get rid of it. But they still kept Tony Collette in it for like that one scene where it's just like, hi, mom, this is my friends. And it's just like, <laughs> that's it. That's why you hired Tony Collette. I want. I wonder too if in the writers' room they were like, "Oh, this girl has to have a mom," and if she was just <laughs> written in later. And Simon's like, "I'll just call up my friend Tony Collette. She and I, I work guess. together all the time." <laughs> yeah, Hector in the Search for Happiness. Who's to say she was in a B roll at the beginning of How to Lose Friends and Alienate People? Everyone knows that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I really liked at the very end of this movie, just before we move on. The little scene, either right before the credits or right after the credits, I can't remember where they're showing the animator make the characters move. And they're referencing how long it must take to film anything with this movie. And it's showing the animator move in a very oh, yeah. sped up very cool. piece of footage. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, Leica is amazing in that way. Like, are, have you watched, uh, like, you've, you've seen Coraline. I've seen Coraline. Yeah. Have you seen Kubo and the Two Strings? Not yet. That was from a couple years, and I was Blast overloaded. Of a movie. I've heard Blast it's very good. Movie. Yeah, that one's a lot of fun. That one made it onto my top list that year. Yeah, which I, I very that. rarely put like animated and superhero movies on my list. So impressed. It was saying something. Well, yeah, um, that's yep. all you have to say about uh, the box trolls. Feel free to launch into the next film. Oh, or next don't mind if I do. Next program, I should say. <laughs> so uh, the next movie that we're thing that we're talking about is a TV miniseries called Devil's Playground uh, from 2014, an Australian miniseries that is a um, sequel, a direct sequel, but more of a spiritual yuck, yuck, yuck uh, sequel to, um, I believe, a 1976 film uh, called The Devil's Playground. Um, interestingly enough. Simon Burke, who plays the main character in the miniseries, who is now all grown up, plays the main character, Young Boy, in um, the 76 version. Oh, okay. Um, very odd movie. I watched the movie. It is very good. Uh, very weird. Um, it's kind of a cult. I, I like a little, like, curious cult icon. Uh, I've, I've heard about it before. I've never seen it. So I tracked it down and watched it um, to get ready for this. Um has almost nothing to do with the show except that it has the same character who was in church, uh, who's in like one of these schools, uh, these, 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 um, religious Christian Catholic schools. Uh, and the movie mainly deals with how men who are repressed from a young age, um, how they deal with sexuality and, um, you know, just how, how it's how it affects them as they grow up and um there's not a whole lot of actual um pedophilia in the movie whereas that is kind of the main focus of the miniseries which is talking about um priests and specifically one priest but also like the larger conversation in real life about uh priests uh in the um late 80s uh all around the world uh, being discovered to have been um, uh, 
messing around with the little kids uh, in ways that are not good and bad and caused a lot of really terrible stuff. Um, it's monstrous and it's crazy and the miniseries is really good. It is um, very frightening even though it never actually pulls any of the old tricks. Um, it doesn't jump scare you. There's no gigantic reveal at the end that it was this person all along or that kind of thing. It's just very... These people feel like real people and it's just... It takes its time. It's six episodes. Um, it's... It's uh, it's really good. I really liked it. Um, I will say that the the content of it and how serious it took it, which obviously it must, um, made for some really crazy early morning watching for me because I was finishing it up this morning. And um, the last two episodes of this thing are not something to watch at eight o'clock in the morning when you've barely had any coffee because it's <laughs> just very intense and makes you feel really bad and you kind of want to just go back to sleep. Uh, what what did you what did you think of Devil's Playground? Yeah, I actually because I was aware that we were doing Krampus, and most recently Tony Collette's been in such films like Hereditary, and even I think you should leave, or I think you should leave. I'm thinking of ending things. Mm -hmm. um, I just had like spooky stuff on the brain, so before I had even done any research into The Devil's Playground, I just assumed it was going to be like a scary miniseries. Mm -hmm. So I hate to say that I was pleasantly surprised to find out what the subject matter was, but I found it extremely engaging as someone who was raised Catholic and still considers themselves to be Catholic, even though I'm mostly non-practicing. Um, I'm very used to that world. I'm very used to what that kind of community feels like. And I think they really nailed it on the head. Um, what it's like to live in a, a small town or like a suburb of Sydney, where pretty much your entire life is devoted to the church, where the people you see at school also are the people that you go to church with because the school itself is a Catholic church. Now, I didn't go to a Catholic uh, school. I went to public school. But I know how enveloped you can become in you th thinking that this is my only support system because these are the only people that you ever see. And just how easy it is to see any type of religion as such a bubble. Um, and they think they do a really great job of showcasing what that bubble feels like and i like that they showcased it on multiple levels they showed it like more in like the higher ups with like the archbishops and the cardinals and then they showed it kind of like in the mid tier with like the priests and the brothers who i'm not really sure if the brothers are training to become priests or if that's more of like an australian version of like deacons i think um, it's kind of both i kind think of it's because it's because it's <laughs> In the first one, there's brothers and like they are like deacons, but they can yes. become priests. priests. So maybe they're not training to become, but they're like, this is the job that I'm at right now. And I, if I ever wish to move up the ladder, I simply, you know, I get tapped on the shoulder or I like, I ask <laughs> like or something like that. Right. It seemed like perhaps that was part of their seminary training was to be a school teacher within the Catholic church system. But then I like how you also see it with all the the lay families and the lay people who uh, enroll their children in schools such as these. And I thought they handled the subject matter really, really well and with respect. And I think they did a good job, too, of not 
instantly villainizing everyone in the priesthood because you had a couple of priests who were very against what was going on and very into researching, but also being cognizant and aware of how delicate all of this subject matter was. Um, but I thought it was interesting because this television program came out a couple years before Spotlight. So I feel... Spotlight. 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 <laughs> so I feel like uh, maybe either this kicked something up in like the creative lens of how to explore this through film and television. Or it was just one of those weird circumstances where mm -hmm. projects are being made at the same time that handle very similar subject matter. Except with The Devil's Playground, it takes place in the late 80s, which isn't when Spotlight takes place. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting that uh, when Spotlight, you know, swept the Oscars, that no one made mention to be like, oh yeah, there was this little Australian television series mm -hmm. from a couple years back that really kind of beat us to the punch of really exploring the subject matter. Yeah. And the institution of it all too is pretty wild because like, you know, you do have your whole bubble and we protect our own and all of that stuff. And that's kind of how that's not only one of like the nice things about being in a religion that you're involved in and that you practice, but it's also the ways that they're able to, that's the power that they have is that they can manipulate those things. Cause some, especially when you're young and don't understand completely how the world works. Um, that's how they can, you don't know that you have, like you said, you, you don't know that you have other options or anything else. So you believe these people cause that's the, what you've been told your whole life is to believe them, you know? And it's an interesting kind of um, parallel and just like, you know, the, the idea of just, this one job, you know, if you really want to kind of bring it down to like, it's, it's job, it's mm -hmm. your occupation, uh, 25% of them doing one of the most monstrous things that you can do and they just keep doing it and nothing ever changes and nothing ever happens. Uh, kind of sounds like another job in America right now, um, where, uh, 25%, if not more, of police are doing some really fucked up shit and nothing really ever happens. Every now and then we get a court thing and something happens maybe to one person, but it's like, it's the whole bad apple thing. Um, which is what I like about the movie going back to what you said a moment ago that they don't immediately vilify everybody, but it's shot in a way where you think maybe they are. Right. It's like everybody, whenever you're introduced and the movie does the same thing where it's like they show you these like kind of six brothers and one priest and you're just like, who's it going to be? Like, who's the one that's going to do it? And you should really check the movie out. It's it's very, very good. There's a lot of stuff that I remember from it. Like, that's like good writing or that's like a really cool scene. Um, But they introduce these different brothers and different priests with all these different attitudes and everything. And you're like, okay, so are they going to try and zigzag me where it's like the nice one is going to be the one, or is it like the really scary one or the really old one or the really weird one? And this one, you know, you get John Noble in there as like, you're like, oh, well, he's gotta be the bad guy. Um, and at first you think like, is he kind of behind this? Is he kind of doing something? But then it's slowly revealed that like, he's actually kind of like, I don't like this at all but he's kind of in denial about it like he's known about it for a while but like a like a lot of other people they're kind of just brushing it off to the side and they're like oh it's a sickness it's like a drug addiction don't worry about it they'll go get better um and the one the one priest 
is my favorite. The one who has actually committed the crimes in that this one is actually going through specifically because he starts off so mousish and so like, it's a disease. I can't help myself. I don't know what to do where you don't feel bad for him or relate to him, but you kind of start to like, there's a character there. He's, he's, he's not just two dimensional. You can see what he's, or he, he is two dimensional. He's three dimensional, four dimensional. <laughs> um, you can see the mechanics of why he's doing what he's doing, even though it's monstrous and terrible. And then you get that kind of, that's like the one, like, you know, rug getting pulled out from under you, which is you start to see that, no, he's like, that's all, he's just tricking everybody because he's actually a complete monster who is in complete control and knows what he's doing. And those scenes, which again, really only happen in the last two episodes, which is what I was talking about this morning. Those scenes like really kind of like, gave me chills like yeah i've been watching a lot of horror stuff lately getting ready for the horror show part seven coming soon Mm -hmm. um and that freaked me the fuck out like it's the scene where he grabs him uh and he's like you're coming home with me and there's a scene in the pen at the very end where he says i love you it's like it's it's intense intense shit oh yeah absolutely yeah, he was a phenomenal actor in that role. Yeah. Um, I also think it brings up the interesting conversation about... Because I had never even considered any priest wanting to blame all of these sexual abuse cases on Vatican II. And on Vatican II really changing the way mass is either given and or received. Because uh, that happened... My grandparents have talked about Vatican II and how the changes affected them. And Vatican II is very famously like the mass was no longer sang in Latin. It was spoken in English so that the parishioners could understand it. The priest was no longer faced away from their parish. They were facing towards their parish. And so it was really trying to make going to church more accessible and more of a communal feeling rather than just religious. Um, and yeah, it does seem that it was interesting to see that that archbishop or the the person who was lobbying to become archbishop, McManus, uh, saying that Vatican II really threw a wrench in how priests could interact with their parishioners. And I had never considered that argument before. I'm not saying he was making a convincing argument because I don't think it's a good excuse. No. But, but the idea of having these men now being more of an active role model in their parishioners' lives and not just the person who facilitated the sacraments for them um, seemed interesting to me. Yeah. But... It's the temptation factor. Yeah. It's you put them... That's And that's what a lot of the, the movie is about, is about temptation. There's this great sequence where the brothers go out on the town for a night and two of them pretend to not be brothers and just flirt with women uh, to just try and see if they can do it, but they don't know how to do it. And one of them ends up being really good at it, but doesn't know what to do. And it's a, it's a really fantastic little movie. And there's there's a great line in it about halfway through where one of the brothers says, one of the brothers, like, because they're always drinking and they're always like getting drunk at the end of the night and all that kind of stuff and just kind of showing the hypocrisies of it. But he's got this line where he's just like, what if God's not even there at the end? Like, how will we feel then? Like that kind of thing. And he like asks a room of brothers and priests that. And he's like, what if when we die, 
we find out this was all nothing. Like, we are going to feel so fucking silly for everything that we're doing and worrying about right now. And they're all just like, um, but it is about like that kind of temptation and that kind of tossing the, the, the idea of like, it's not, it's not them. It's the temptation that's been instilled in them because they've been told that they can't do it and that they can't do this and that they can't do that. And they have to figure out other ways and different priests and brothers have different ways of going about how to do it. And again, this is like a small percentage, but if you want to consider, 25% a small percentage you know but it's 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 not you know it's not the the monolith of the institution but it's a very big deal and it's how they respond to it much in the same way how yeah every cop doesn't do this bad stuff but it's how the cops that don't do the bad stuff respond to the cops doing the bad stuff it, which is like that's where the real kind of judgment and justice comes in and it's kind of interesting the cop allegory the cop story is more is like justice and where this is kind of like this uh, judgment where it's like they're constantly judging everyone else that they're teaching and people around them and they're like oh how dare you come at us you don't know what we do and they're constantly judging each other and all of this stuff and but i do like again that they never really they're not mocking the religion or the church in general they're they're not saying like all of this is bad, tear it all down and build it back up. They're like, this is what happened. This is the story. And it's kind of messed up. And, you know, Tony Collette is in this and she plays a very small character that kind of comes in and out. Margaret Wallace, who is kind of the stand in for the local politics mm-hmm. of the area of how that would start to affect how people would look at it, like who the politicians are talking to and all of this stuff. And it's very interesting too, because she kind of comes in a little icy at first and you're like, who's this? Uh Uh-oh. But then it's, she kind of becomes more of a kind of uh, partner to Tom Allen, the main dude trying to figure out exactly what's going on because she has access to things that the church isn't aware that they would have access to in the investigation. Right. Yeah. She does a great job fulfilling that (sighs) role. Yeah. She's, She's good. You can hire her to do like anything. Like she can really handle like the whole 120 pounds or she can just, she can just like free weight it five pounds in each hand. She's fine. It's okay. Yeah. I was nervous because she's in the first episode. She's in the second episode. And then the third and fourth episodes, you don't really see her at all. Mm. And you think, ah, great. Is she gone? She gone forever. (laughs) But then she comes back and plays a pretty serviceable part in the sixth episode. So yeah, it was, I was glad that they brought her back. Um, Her hair brought her back into the fold. Yeah. Her hair looks great great. in this episode, I think. Like, her hair looks great across the board in all of these different films. Um, But yeah, I I do think it's sad. I think the the lack of priests is alarming, and I can understand why the higher-ups in the Catholic Church are nervous for that, but it did break my heart to hear, you know, well, people are clamoring for priests. We can't just retire all of the bad ones because we wouldn't have enough to go around. And that's so true. My mom's parish back home in uh, Southeastern Indiana just recently got a priest again after years of not having a priest. Um, I think three or four churches in the area have been like sharing one priest and it's just uh, – I, I know that world that, yeah, th- there isn't as much of a calling anymore. And I think the Catholic Church is having a hard time, like, reconciling that. But also, they're not willing to make the necessary changes 
in order to fill that need. Um, so I, I do know a lot of priests just aren't even able to retire at a normal age anymore. We've had very, very old priests who had tried to retire, had to come back from retirement just to fill that role. And yeah, I think, uh, luckily I think the Pope that we have now is kind of trying to modernize the church and trying to bring it, dragging, dragging it, 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 kicking and screaming uh, into the the modern realm. The iOS update that it needs. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you guys are all still running on Big Sur. Come yeah. on. It's time to... No, 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 no. Right. But yeah, I think the show, even though it was based in 88, like in the late 80s, I thought it did a great job of like highlighting the issues that are still going on in the Catholic Church. So, thought it yeah. was good. I really enjoyed watching it. It was good. Spookier than I thought it would be. <laughs> less Less spooky than you thought it would be. So, there we are. Yes. <laughs> uh... Why don't we move on to something a little different? <laughs> something we can just like dip our toe in and then leave. <laughs> if, if you'd like. I mean, I don't know. No, it, it's fine. Um, yeah. The next movie that we're going to talk about is Blinky Bill the movie. Um, putting it on, you're like, <laughs> this, is, this is basically the same basic, basic plot to The Magic Pudding. Uh, Which we covered earlier, yeah. A little boy who is a koala whose dad goes away and the little boy is trying to find his lost dad who has been adventuring for a year. And it is about a group of wild animals who live on or in Green Patch, which is kind of like this oasis out in the desert, out in the outback in Australia. And Blinky's adventures trying to find his lost father. Um, along the way, he meets a, a group of ragtag friends, and among them are two emus that are voiced by Tony Collette, <laughs> Beryl and Cheryl. Tony. Yes, and it's Tony Collette getting to use like her voice, which I thought was great. Yeah, like this was the most Tony Collette animated role that I think we've seen so far. Her just being ridiculous and fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked like she. Or it sounded like she was having a blast doing this recording um yeah i thought blinky bill was fine i think i've aged out of movies like blinky bill because it was very much like this is for children mm-hmm. um whereas i find most of the animated fare that you or i uh tend to enjoy are obviously films that are made for adults with children in mind which mm-hmm. is kind of like that animation sweet spot that you that you like to hit and blinky bill was just a Another animated movie. It kind of gave me very similar vibes to, say, like Madagascar or, you know, those those DreamWorks animated films that are really heavy on, like, the, the slapstick humor of, like, people getting yeah. hurt, they, they uh, like people wearing it, outfits. Yeah. They, they like to move it, move it. Yes, they do. But yeah, <laughs> what did you think of this movie? Uh, it's great. Ten stars. Masterpiece. <laughs> Uh, interestingly enough, this is one of those movies that uh, most definitely ripped off a Pixar movie and got it out first. Because this is the exact same story as Finding Dory that came out the following year. This is the exact same story as Finding Dory. Uh, there's a little bit of Finding Nemo in there, but it's specifically Finding Dory about like the aquarium and like getting getting stuck into like a place with like fish who have been domesticated and wild fish and all of that stuff. And it's um, it's pretty wild. 
how it is kind of, and because I just watched Finding Dory for the first time recently because it was one that I had to catch up on. And while I was watching this movie, um, when I was watching this movie, like through the bottom of like a whiskey glass, uh, for the most part, um, and I was having a great time. It's a really good movie to just kind of drink alone to. It makes you happy. Um, <laughs> I was just seeing all these connections and everything. And like, that's the one thing that's the most interesting is that it is very much kind of like, you know, Shark's Tale, which is the DreamWorks thing. Like they made that because Finding Nemo was coming out and they, Pixar movies take two to three years, if not more to make. Right. Whereas DreamWorks, they pump those babies out. So usually somebody will get fired from Pixar. They'll go to work at DreamWorks and they'll be like, what are they working on over there? And they're like, oh, it's like a fish movie. And they're like, great, we're going to make a fish movie first. And they would do that all the time. Ants, Bugs Life. Yep. Um, they do it all the time. And this is kind of funny because it's kind of the Australian version of that where I'm just like, and you know, getting trapped at like, you know, a zoo or anything like that is not a a new idea but the fact that this is like an animated pg kids movie about animals and it comes out just one year before finding dory i'm just like hold on a second here i'm pretty sure i know what's going on um but uh cheryl and beryl uh forever absolutely 100 percent. they're a couple of my uh they're good friends at this point i don't know if we're ever gonna hang out again probably not this movie was only made six years ago. Who knows? There could be a Blinky Bill, the sequel, coming out. You never and know. I'd, I'd see it in IMAX. I would. <laughs> Just for fun. Um, was there music in this? Did they sing? No, the animals never sang. Hmm. And I can give I them remember. props for that. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm into that. I mean, I like it when the animals move it, move it. So oh. I'm, I would have appreciated A little that. dancing. Yeah, like really weird, kind of like the Moulin Rouge of like DreamWorks, like they always do, where they're just like, let's slap three songs together. Always. One's, one's by Elton John, one's by Nicki Minaj, and one is about eating ass, but we're not going to use the lines where they talk about that. We're just going to use the chorus everybody knows in the radio, and we'll put it in our kids' movie. Yep, and then have kids sing it for five yep. years afterwards. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I think uh, the most interesting thing about this film is that it's a reunion for a lot of people that Tony Collette has worked with in the past. And we have, uh, let's see here, Richard Roxburgh, yeah. who plays Rake. Rake. From that one episode of Rake that we Rake. watched. Speaking <laughs> um, of Moulin Rouge, yeah, he's the bad guy in Moulin Rouge. He is, yeah. And then Barry Otto, who was in Cozy and uh, Lillian's story with Tony mm -hmm. Collette, is in this as well. Playing uh, Cranklepot, who is like the villain, who again, great name, is kind of like a queer coded villain. It's just yeah. like, all right, guys, this is the mid 2010s. Like, we can move past this because <laughs> it happened twice, like pretty much back to back. And I'm like, who haven't gotten past this yet. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I think that those are the the only reunion. David um, Wenham. People. Oh yeah, David Wenham he was, was in also in Cozy, the boys. wasn't he? Oh, the boys. Oh, and he, he was right. also in. He was in the boys, but I, I think he was also in Cozy. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, she wasn't in something with Rufus Sewell yet. I don't think so. I could be wrong. I mean, I feel because I, I just recently saw his like star making performance in Old. The beach with you. Makes you old. We saw it. Yes. We saw it together. And <laughs> uh, spoiler alert: Rufus Sewell gets old. You know, he gets and, old. Um, 
He gets old and, and he and gets he, angry. He gets old and angry and he looks great. And he looks great. He looks fucking great. He had, uh, I guess, I, I need to double check that. He hasn't been in anything, anything with her yet? That seems weird. I don't think so. Blinky Bill the movie, as we all remember. I was going to say, if so, it would have had to have been something pretty small. Yeah, I don't think so, because I'm starting to... Oh, you know what I'm getting confused with? Because I watched The Holiday uh-huh. um, for Christmas last year under your supervision. Yes, um, I watched you the whole time. And he is in that, and I think that that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, maybe it's tripping you up because... Uh, because she's not... Because Tony Collette is not in that movie. No, but we did talk about doing Kate Winslet and she is in that movie. Yes. So I don't know. Maybe that's what you're thinking? Yeah. I really, really thought... No, okay. I'm going to give up because this is great so, audio. Yeah. To me, that sounds like that's a dream project. Put Rufus Ru- Sewell and Tony Collette and something Rufus. together. Yep. Besides Just do it. Blinky Bill. Besides Blinky Bell, <laughs> where we get to see their beautiful, beautiful faces. Please. <laughs> but yeah, I... Old. Blinky Bell, uh, I watched it. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> Can't quite say that this is something... This isn't like, uh, say, Mary and Max, which I adored, which mm. I know I will show my children in the future at some point. If, if my kids want to watch Blinky Bell... Cool, I can put it on and just like go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I'll watch it every year. Every year? Um I'm, I'm Blinky Bill Day. Blinky Bill Day. <laughs> Great. Uh, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> uh next next movie um is another one that I uh have been meaning to catch for a while that I've heard of before. It's called Miss You Already. It's from 2015. Um it's directed by the great Catherine Hardwick. Um, and it stars, uh, four of my favorite people being real goddamn cute, uh, to each other and being very funny and being very poignant. And it's really good. I really liked it. It's about, um, two friends, um, two lifelong friends, uh, played by Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette. Um, Tony Collette plays Millie who is diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, She is the uh, mother of two. She's uh, married to Dominic Cooper, who is a snack. Um, And she's friends with Drew Barrymore named Jess, who is married to Patty Considine, who is my boyfriend. Um, (laughs) And they are trying to have a baby, uh, having some difficulties with that when Millie is diagnosed with breast cancer. And really the movie is just about what happens when someone in your life of varying importance gets a disease like this? Because we're, we see it mainly through Drew Barrymore's interactions, but there's also through the husbands, the children, uh, Patty Considine, who is, you know, it's his friend's best, it's his, it's his wife's best friend's kind of thing. And like, they all kind of have their moments to deal with this. You also have the mother of Millie coming on in, um, and it's uh it's it's just a very very i found it to be a very very sweet funny movie it put me in a good mood even though it made me a little sad uh cancer is a thing that i have a really kind of difficult time dealing with in movies because of my own experiences with it 
Um, and I found that this movie was just, uh, it would deal with the dark stuff and get me a little sad, but it was always there to also kind of just give me a pat on the shoulder with a little joke or a little, you know, Patty Constantine kind of did a lot of that. Every word that came out of Patty Constantine's mouth in this, I was just like, fucking just take me now. Like, he's amazing. What what did you think of Miss You Already? Had you seen this one before? I had seen this before. Ah. I I had seen this. I think when it came out, I didn't see it in theaters, but probably like as soon as it was available on DVD or streaming, I watched it because I'm a huge fan of both of these ladies. Um, I love Drew Barrymore. I think she's wonderful. Um, Patty Considine, yeah, really kind of sending it back home that it's like, I can play a male romantic lead. I don't have to be in an ensemble filled with other like British cohorts. Like I can do this on my own. Um, yeah, I, I love this movie. I think my only beefs with it are just like a few stylistic choices. I really hate like all of the weird camera angles and weird like shaky cam stuff. Catherine Hardwick. Take that out of there, and I, I think it's it. like a pretty, pretty good movie. I love it because it doesn't really belo- those things don't belong in this type of movie, but Catherine Hardwick puts them in anyway. So you're kind of like, oh, okay, all right, great. Yeah, yeah, really. Like that's my my one complaint. I think the the message is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. I I think it's really important that you do learn to cherish the people who you're going to lose while they're still around. Um, but it's also very important to acknowledge that it's going to be difficult and hard to do that when a person is changing. Um, but yeah, overall really like this movie. Um, it was good to watch it again because I hadn't seen it since I had seen it all those years ago. Perfect. Yeah. And I, I think Tony Collette gives a real, a really great performance in it. I think it's one of her it's one of her strongest because she's kind of using all of the stuff in her toolbox yet again, like to do goofy, be funny, but be very sad, sometimes be very scary. Um, She's got a lot of moments where sometimes she just doesn't respond to what people are saying and she's kind of just facially responding. And and Tony Collette is very good at using her face to emote um, entire points of view. Uh, I love the scene with the surprise party where she freaks out on everybody and just starts like throwing things at people and leaves. Um, the scene with the glasses is so good uh, where she's like, I'm legally blind and I got these big glasses and stuff. She's just very cute um, and lovable in the movie. And that's a strong thing that you need for a character like Millie, who is going to, you know, it's not an easy character to like. Because she does rightfully so, but still um, dangerously get a little out of hand and become very selfish in, in varying degrees of what she's doing. Um, and is, is and is quite mean to a lot of people. Uh, and that's to be expected with stuff like this. Um, and I think that she has that kind of charisma as being Tony Collette one. And same with Drew Barrymore. It's like, we know who these people are. We, we've been watching them for decades um, Drew Barrymore even more so. Um, and it's it's uh, it's good to have those two characters be the ones that are going to be making some decisions that might make you feel a little off. Uh, because you're just like, yeah, but it's Tony Collette. Like, it'll be fine. It's not like she's going to do anything nasty. It's not like she's the bad guy. Right. We'll, we'll get there. It's not like she's the bad guy. 
I also think it's cool that I feel like they could have very easily cast the Drew Barrymore uh, role the opposite way. I think she could have easily played Millie. Oh, yeah. It's it's kind of cool I to think about. Know, I didn't know who was the sick one until I started watching it. Because I just yeah. knew Miss You Already is the Drew Barrymore 20 Collect Cancer movie. And it's about a friend who gets cancer and the friend takes care of her. And I'm like, I don't know who's who. Cause, and either one could pull that off because they're both pretty good. Yeah, maybe someone can just remake the movie years down the line and just swap them. <laughs> I think that'd be great. Um, but yeah, and then also you get Tyson Ritter from All American Rejects playing the little oh fuckboy on the side. Oh my fucking God, is that who that was? That's who that is. Dirty little secret. <laughs> All American Reject, Tyson Ritter. Oh, the dirty little secret himself? What? Fuck that! I got a drill next to me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that because that's that's what I had to do. Woo! That's insane. He did look familiar. That's crazy. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> oh man, Move I don't along. know if he's acted in anything else. I have. Uh, fuck. That's... This might be it. Whoo! That really fucked me up, man. <laughs> Uh, that was very active he's in my time good. for a he's while. Pre- he's <laughs> so. pretty good. Yeah. He's good. He's fine. Great. I mean, his he doesn't have to do much. His <sighs> role is very small. <laughs> you doing okay over there? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. That just really kind of... That was like Michael Gambon like, punching <laughs> me in the face. Like That really kind of <laughs> took me for a loop there for a second. <laughs> Whew. Wow. Wow. All America rejects. Yeah. Simpler times. Simpler times. Simpler times. <laughs> really, this was not all that long ago at this point, but yeah, simpler I times. Not. I guess not. <laughs> well, yeah, anything else you wanted to touch on for Miss You Already? No, I, I mean, uh, I think I said everything. Everything else would be kind of just like regurgitating the same stuff. It's very good. Um, and Tony Collette's like fucking great in it. And. Yeah. I wish Patty Considine was in more movies that Tony Collette was in so I could see some more of him. Yes. We're gonna me and D are gonna jump into Peaky Blinders because I love the show. She's never watched it. And Peaky Blinders does this thing where every season has a new big bad, like and a new like premier actor like plays the big bad. Is Patty one of them? <laughs> Patty is Patty's one of them, kind of. Yeah. Patty is in a season for a full season as a kind of foil. Um, Yeah, but uh, he's amazing in it, too, because it's at that point when I had seen that, I hadn't really seen Patty Constantine do too much uh, serious work. I really only, you know, World's End and stuff like that and TV. Uh, So to see him play like a real intense dude was uh, pretty cool. And that's when that's when I asked him to marry me. And he said, yes, he said he'd get back to me. Oh, okay. No. I thought you had just been engaged for, you know, like I, a couple I told years. Him, I told him I'd, I'd wait forever. You'll wait. <laughs> yeah, I'll wait forever. And he said, that's good. All right. I'll keep my fingers crossed for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, shall we move move along? Let's. Okay. Uh, the next uh, film we're going to be talking about uh, was completely off my radar entirely. Uh, back in 2016 when this movie came out. I had never heard of this movie. I mm. was surprised. I mean, Daniel Radcliffe is in it. He's the star. Mm. Very surprising. This is a movie called Imperium, mm-hmm. which 
It came out in 2016. It is about primarily two FBI agents, Daniel Radcliffe and Tony Collette, uh, going undercover to try to unmask this uh, white supremacist terrorist plot, domestic terrorist plot, um, basically on, I would say, a very, very strong women hunch that possibly it could go this route. Um, there's an accident where some very lethal substances are stolen. Cesium. I've never heard the word cesium before in my life, and now I feel like I know all about it. Um, this movie, uh, yeah, it starts out with this accident, and basically Tony Collette thinks in her past, and she thinks, I think this might go the way that the FBI doesn't think it will. And so Daniel Radcliffe goes undercover, he becomes a skinhead, and he infiltrates a lot of different but intersecting white supremacist groups. Um, ultimately, figuring out that, yes, this was a domestic terrorist plot the whole time, and they figure it out. Um, it is based off of a story by Michael German, and he concocted – Michael German is an FBI uh, agent who did spend a year undercover with white supremacists. And so the story is kind of like an amalgamation of his experience uh, working undercover. But overall, I really liked this movie. I liked that it felt very quiet and very real. I didn't – I felt like they could have over-sensationalized it, but they didn't, which I really liked. Um, and I thought, I thought the movie overall was good, despite me not fully believing in Daniel Radcliffe as a character. But I don't think I'm going to fault the film for that, because I think everyone else was magnetic enough and engaging enough and believable that it didn't really bother me that Daniel Radcliffe, like, didn't convince me that he was ever an FBI agent to begin with. But that's neither here nor there. How did you mm. feel about Imperium? It's fine. <laughs> it was fine. It was fine. It was, uh, you said the perfect word. It's engaging enough. I wasn't really bored, uh, but I wasn't really all that interested. And, you know, like halfway through the movie, I'm like, uh, the the clean cut business guy with the family is the bad guy. He's the bad one. He's the big bad one. That's it. And then at the end, then I had to wait like 45 minutes for them to be like, and guess what? And I'm like, what? And they're like, it's this guy. And I'm like, oh, great. Uh, I also love that you get Chris Sullivan in there of uh, This Is Us fame, um, who's also Taserface in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, that's a, true. He's a robust actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tracy Letts. Hell yeah. Love Tracy Letts. And this is a great character. Uh, he's kind of playing a... Um, was that fuckface's name? He's dead now, so I forgot his name. Um, well, to Rush, me, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, Rush yeah. Limbaugh married with like Bill O'Reilly. A little he, bit. Yep. Like they really took all of like the worst of like that group of people, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. "We're gonna blend you together and call you Dallas Wolf." Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, there's a. Uh, it's got a pretty cool cast of just like a bunch of dudes that have been in like a bunch of dude movies. Like there's a lot of Batman actors in here, like <laughs> Nestor Cabernell and um, 
Burn Gorman shows up at the end out of nowhere. Yeah. My man, the, Burn I was, Gorman. I was like, what the fuck are you doing here, Burn? And he's just like, oh, there's 15 minutes left of the movie. You mind if I, you mind if I like kind of pop in real quick? And I'm like, by all means, not a whole lot's going on. Come on in. <laughs> I thought the movie was over. <laughs> That's what I thought was going on. Yeah, I saw his name in the credits, I think, when I was like scrolling through, just being like, oh, who else is in this movie? And I saw his name. and So I was waiting for him the entire film. And I'm like, oh, a while. I waited a long time. Um, I like it. I like the movie the most, honestly, and this is going to seem either obvious or also just kind of exploitative of the podcast. I really like Tony Collette's performance in it as mm-hmm. a character that I don't think you often see women play, even though it is a it is a like supporting role very much in the sense that she's just the one telling the main character played by Harry Potter, like what to do and like what's going on. And she's the boss. But it was kind of cool that she's kind of like this kind of Nick Fury-esque character who's like, I believe in you, you can do this, here's all the resources that you need and all of that stuff. And they're meeting in cars and the only way they can get a drink is if they just like get hammered in her car, which I'm like, well, they work for the FBI, so I guess they can kind of do whatever they want. Uh, I just found Tony Collette's performance in it uh, really fun and different and exciting. Um, and there's not a whole lot to the character but tony like as always tony collette does like a lot of fun stuff with it and you know getting the reveal of like her family and all of this stuff and everything i just i found all of that stuff very interesting and i think that her and radcliffe have like a really good kind of chemistry where radcliffe kind of has this like intimidation by her but also thinks that he's smarter than her at certain points and that gets more aggressive as it goes and colette is a little like judgmental of him at first and thinks that she can just use him whereas she slowly starts to care about him like basic undercover spy shit that i think colette just like sings agreed yeah it was fun that role could have very easily been played by a man and i think that's what they were kind of doing they were kind of gender swapping what you would stereotypically see in a role like that Mm. where it typically would be like a man talking about all of their experience out in the field and becoming hard and becoming an asshole because you have to learn to protect yourself and your feelings. And yeah, I, I thought she did a great job. No. Yeah. <laughs> Movie's okay. <laughs> yeah. Was it Daniel that held you back or did you think he was doing fine? Uh, I thought he's fine. Yeah. I guess. Uh, I don't think anybody was really like blowing me away in it. Um, Fair. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just, uh, I've seen that kind of, I've seen this exact movie so many times, you know, with like infiltrating the white supremacists and stuff. And I'm just like, Spike Lee did it better. Leave me alone. I don't want this shit anymore. And I'd heard about this one for a while. Like I remember when it came out and it was like, oh, Harry Potter is playing like an undercover skinhead. Like, can you believe it? And I'm like, yeah, he's a fucking actor. Shut up. And like walk away (laughs) and just never saw it. Yeah, let him do it. I'm not going to yeah. watch it for another couple years, but yeah. let him do it. It's fine. <laughs> Daniel, did you hear the guy that played Harry Potter like got naked on stage and fucked a horse in a play? And I'm like, can you believe that? Yeah, he's an actor. Actor do actors do weird shit all the time. What do you? Yeah, <laughs> that's can kind you, of the can point. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Yeah. Yeah, I can. I can. Yeah. I think we are kind of maybe moving away from that, but who's to say? 
where people are so pigeonholed by like this one role that they yeah. play. Because now people, oh, it's actors they're really are getting weird. Yeah, it's because they're young and it's just like, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, oh, did you see those pictures about how like, how how big Neville Longbottom's dick is like in those pictures? Like, you remember that? Where I'm just like, oh yeah, what are you talking? Leave me alone. Like you're, hey, you remember that kid you used to watch all the time? Apparently he's got a big dick. I'm like, why are you telling me this shit? Like, why is this interesting to you to tell me? I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot while I was watching it. Because, like, yeah. I love, I love like, Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. And I love Daniel Radcliffe's, like, popping up in, like, a bunch of different things. I love the fact that a lot of people confuse him for Elijah Wood and vice versa. I think that that's really funny. Um, it is funny. And, yeah, you know, it's fun. I think Elijah Wood would have done really good in this role, too. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't mean to speak ill of Radcliffe. This was the first time that I had watched him in something where I wasn't impressed, per se. Mm. But I think he did a serviceable job. He's fine. Who am I to pass judgment on Radcliffe? Mm, Imperium. (laughs) Anyway, I think that's that on Imperium. 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 Cry macho. (laughs) Have you seen the posters where someone put... Macho Man Randy Savage in that same pose, oh, and it's Cry no, Macho. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, though. That's the movie yeah. I want. I've been saying Cry Macho a lot. Oh, uh, The Chestnut Man. Have you seen the trailer for The Chestnut Man? No. No? no. Look up the trailer for The Chestnut Man. Um, it's okay. very cool, and they say the word chestnut about 50 fucking times in a like minute and a half show. They just keep saying chestnut. It's great. <laughs> and then they're like... The Chestnut Man. It's great. It's fantastic. It's one of those trailers, too, where it starts off with the name. It gives you a little mm-hmm. clip first where someone's like, Chestnut, Chestnut, Chestnut. And then it's like, The Chestnut Man. And then the trailer actually starts. And I really love that because then I knew I was going to get The Chestnut Man again at the end. But I had no idea how many chestnuts I was going to get. What is... Is this a It's like a serial killer movie? series. I think it's a movie oh, or a series. Okay. It's a foreign... Uh, foreign series or foreign it's it's coming out soon okay. it's called the chestnut man and it's about a serial killer who calls himself the chestnut man and yeah it's a, it's a great trailer i'm really excited about that all right i love it mm-hmm. <laughs> would you like to talk about yeah I some would. some yeah a little, little, little kiss 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 return of xander cage <laughs> Uh, okay, here we go. Um, uh, Triple X Return of Xander Cage was released in 2017. Uh, it was directed by uh, DJ Caruso, um, who is uh, the guy that directed Eagle Eye. Um, it stars Vin Diesel as Xander Cage returning to his role that he started with the original Triple X, and then he refused. He, he turned down Triple X2 and was, uh, then they got Ice Cube to come in and do that for Triple X State of the Union. Uh, and then Vin Diesel kind of blew up with Fast and Furious and all of that stuff. And now he's finally returned to the Triple X roots, uh, where he has decided, you know, what would make Triple X really good is if it was Fast and Furious. <laughs> so that's what he does. And he kind of just, uh, gets a whole team of, slightly well-known actors to 
all be triple X's. Ruby Rose, Tony Ja, uh, Topeka Putakane, um, Nina Deprev, Rory McCann, Chris Wu, and of course, Donnie Yen, who, spoiler alert, does not kiss Vin Diesel throughout this entire movie. <laughs> really fucking wish they had, but they didn't. Uh, but the movie also, of course, stars Tony Collette as Jane Mark. And she is the uh, replacement for Samuel L. Jackson's Augustus Gibbons, who is the, no joke, Nick Fury of the Triple X uh, series. He has uh, the same eye, is scarred and everything, and he has the exact same job, and he talks the exact same way, and he looks a lot like Nick Fury, um, at least from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And at the beginning of this movie, Augustus Gibbons is... KO'd. Um, and so Tony Collette comes in and recruits a new team to go fight another team, and they fight. And um that's it. Uh it's uh, uh two two out of five stars. <laughs> Check it out if you want, if you like triple X movies. Although I will say. I like the original Triple X because that movie does what it needs to do. It's it's a stupid idea, but it does it well. It's 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 uh it's it's like extreme sports James Bond, and it does that. The second one really stinks. It's a big old snooze. Uh, and then this one's just kind of like it's just a Fast and Furious movie, and I don't like Fast and Furious movies that don't have my family in them. Even if, like, the main dude's there. And also, Vin Diesel is trying to do this thing in these movies where it's, like, he's just, like, trying to be so fucking sexy. And it's just, like, like, dude, you used to look really good. And you still do. Like, you look great. But, like, you don't have to have a scene of you just, like, what does he have to do? He has to, like, have sex with 15 women for, like, eight hours to prove that he's triple X or something. He has to do that at some point in this movie. <laughs> I don't really know what the point of that scene is. But... I think that that's what it was. They were like, well, if you're really triple X, you'd be able to... Yeah! And then I'm like, okay, great. And then he does. And I'm like, okay. And then he's got, like, his jacket from triple X that, I guess, that's, like, his was a big deal. Ja- his fa- I guess it was a big deal. He wears it in one scene and... It's a big puffy jacket. It looks nice. Um, no, it's fucking dumb. It's a dumb fucking movie. Uh, I had a great time <laughs> watching it. Uh, I love Donnie Yen. I love Chris Wu, Ruby Rose, Tony Ja. Big Rory McCann fan. Um, yeah, that's uh, had a bunch of people in it. Having a bunch of fun. Not a whole lot happens. Uh, I'd watch another one. Yeah. <laughs> what did you, what do you, huh? And what give about, it another hey, two out about, of five what about, stars. What about you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I... I don't think listeners, if they know me and know the type of of film that I usually laud, um, (laughs) they're not going to be surprised that I haven't seen either of the other Triple X movies. That was the type of movie that just passed me by when those types of movies were coming out. I was of an age where I didn't have much interest, and here we are at a third one, and I watched it because it had Tony Collette in it. Gotcha. I, I gotta, I, I've got to start listening to Quarter Mile at a Time because I listen to this podcast called Newcomers, and uh, Newcomers they've covered Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, 
um, and a lot of Medea movies, uh, Tyler Perry Medea movies. Fun. But the whole premise is that it's Lauren Lapkus and Nicole Byer, and they were initially covering things that they hadn't seen before. And so, like, when they did Star Wars, neither of them had seen, like, any of the Star Wars movies. And then they did Lord of the Rings, and then they did Medea, and now they're doing Fast and Furious. And so I'll just put that on, like, when I'm cleaning my house. And so I've heard tell of, like, how most Fast and the Furious movies start with Dom, like, being somewhere and kind of speaking Spanish, but not really. But, like, Mm. everyone in the community loves him, and he's kind of, like, established a home here. And then he has to go back to somewhere else. And so, yeah, when this movie started, I was like, oh, they were not kidding that these triple X movies, that this like basically is a Fast and the Furious movie. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I mean, I think Vin Diesel is fine. But the fact that he is like a sexual conquest for every single woman when it comes to like only three lines of dialogue that he says to them, he like grunts out this like. (laughs) meager mishmash of words yeah. and then all of a sudden he slept with like 20 different women yeah, in the course like, of this like, one movie hogarth and, and they're just like oh fuck <laughs> they lose their minds yeah so I, I do find that very silly um the movie does open with gibbons recruiting neymar jr <laughs> to be triple x and then in like Yep. This movie has like a lot of style and flash, but it said that Neymar Jr. thought he was being recruited for the Avengers. And mm-hmm. I'm like, so does the Triple X series take place in the same world as like the Avengers? Like, they, is it a they Marvel don't fuck, they universe? They don't fucking care. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> no. they, they were like, don't you think someone will sue us? And they were like, and Vin Diesel was like, do I look like I fucking care? <laughs> no, he doesn't care Super at all. Superman. People love him. Yeah. <laughs> um, But the, the movie overall, it, it does a thing. People love that kind of stuff. I get it. I get that it's enjoyable. If if they're trying to show me, like, stretching to the limits what a movie can do and what a movie can show, I think they're doing great. I think, like, the stunts and all of the teams that went into making all of those stunts and fight choreography and explosives and what have you, all of that's, like, really working. I think. I think they did a great job. I was trying to come to the film objectively. I was really giggling because I thought it was so ridiculous. Um, Really, like, the things that I think they need to improve on in a movie like that. Go on. (laughs) Is that it just seems... You got some notes? You got some (laughs) notes for this? Okay. No. Yeah. Some scenes I thought were just really dark. Huh. And, uh... Like, thematically? like, Like... that whole nightclub scene, and I know it's like a nightclub, and I know it's like outside, mm. but they spent a long time yeah. in that one set piece. I feel like and I they was did like, that. all right, guys. I don't know if this is the reason. If I was okay. directing this movie, and I walked onto set, and I had seen that Wardrobe had put Donnie Yen in a Hawaiian shirt, I would try and stay in that scene as long as possible as well. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, Donnie, look at what he's wearing. Donnie Yen looks fucking great in a Hawaiian shirt. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I am like, I'm in a good mood right now. But like, if I was in a bad mood, I'd probably be like, fuck that movie. Like, you know, like I'd probably be really mean to it. But it's just doing what it wants to do, and it's just having some fun. Making yeah. fun of this movie would be like, like, really stringently criticizing like a fourth grade play. 
It's yes. just like, come on, like they're just ha- let them do their. They're having fun with the thing. Leave them alone. You yeah, because you know it. It sucks to default to like this movie just isn't for me. So like when I watch a movie like Triple X Return of Xander Cage, I just have to be reminded like look how many jobs that film made for people. Like look mm. how many people like worked and earned a paycheck to make that movie happen. <laughs> yeah, sometimes which it's. That's great. I'm yeah. glad that all those people have jobs. That's a uh, popcorn ceiling stuff for me, where it's like when I'm just staring at my popcorn ceiling <laughs> at night and just thinking about stuff. That's one of the things I think about is how much movies cost. Well, yeah. They cost a lot. They cost a lot. It, but like, and this, this, these are my types of movies. I love this shit. It's just like, eh, this one just doesn't really have like a whole lot of guff to it. You know, it's not doing a whole lot. Donnie Yen's fucking great. Get Vin Diesel out of here. If it was just Donnie Yen as the new Triple X, I probably could be the exact same movie. But if you remove all of the Vin Diesel shit and just have more Donnie Yen shit, plus just maybe a couple more Hawaiian shirts, don't overdo it. But like, I'd probably be into the movie exactly as it is way more. It's just all the Vin Diesel like, everybody likes me. I'm really cute. And all the ladies love me, and all the guys want to be my friend, and I love them too. You're just kind of like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're fucking rich and fa- Stop it. Cut it out. Because he does it in the Fast and Furious ones too. Like a whole epic thing with like, uh, you know, the thing with the rock. Like I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with that, where it's like I, the blow I by blow. And, you know, and that's like why he wanted to get like someone like John Cena to like be like his his brother in the new one. And. You know, he just wants to be like the big, like no one, no one believes that Vin Diesel can beat The Rock. Not a single, (laughs) Vin Diesel doesn't even believe that. Okay. Right. And it's, but that's one of the things that I thought we were going to get way more of these in Tony Collette's filmography, but we haven't. Like a lot of ones where like, oh, we can really just dive in on that. Like Blinky Bill, we can kind of get in on. I feel like the last one that really spun us for a top was something like The Magic Pudding. And that was like way back when. I feel like for the most part, we're usually kind of just like vibing at least on a level with what they're doing. But like, this is just one where you're just like, dude, they probably offered Tony Collette like, you know, a million bucks to like show up for like three weeks and barely just kind of talk and do stuff and have a couple action scenes and that's it. And she's probably like, fuck yeah, I'll do that. You know, like she, she just, <laughs> she just went for it. Yeah, I think it's really cool that she got a movie like this or that she was even interested in a movie like this. I think that's pretty cool. And I also liked that they cast Nina Dobrev from Degrassi fame, kind of against type, and she's kind of like the nerdy dork girl. Um, I liked that. Yeah, that was very, very weird. Seeing her was extremely weird for me. I was like, who the fuck is that? Who the fuck is that? I fucking know that. Who the fuck is that? And I looked it up. I was like, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was really fun. Like it, it just seemed like everyone was having fun on this movie, so I don't begrudge them that. Mm-hmm. No, it's fine. It's a good of a. It's a good of a fun. <laughs> vampire well, Di- Vampire Diaries, great. See, I never watched Vampire Diaries. Diana does. Yeah. Diana was trying to fucking talk to me the other day, and she was. I love her to absolute pieces. I don't know if she listens to these. If she does, I'll get in trouble. But I'm just going to go out there and say she was talking to me like I was a fucking child the other day about the... She wasn't doing it on purpose, but she was trying to... 
there's like the Vampire Diaries. There's a a spinoff uh, called The Originals. And Diana was explaining to me the plot of The Originals. As I, and I felt like it was as if I she thought that I had never seen a TV show before. I'm going to get in so much show. I'm going to stop doing it. But she was talking about the original. She's like, yeah, they're like the original vampires. And they were the bad guys in a couple of the seasons of Vampire Diaries. And then they got their own show. So they're kind of like the bad guys. But they got to be the good guys, you know. And she was explaining it to me. And I was just like, I've never watched Vampire Diaries. I have no idea who the originals are. I'm never going to watch the originals. I don't care who the originals are. <laughs> oh i should cut this out oh boy it's too late it's too oh, late boy <laughs> i understand i i do i love her a decent much. amount of of head nodding in my household as well so i think i understand what you mean i love her very much now i know what it feels like when i'm talking to her about some dumbass werner herzog movie from 1983 and she's like okay Yes. Yeah, we should watch it. It'd be great. I'd like to watch it. I think you'd like it. Okay. So. Yep. That door swings both ways. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, let's get into the main event. Um, Listeners, when we booked this series out forever ago, a lifetime ago, and we set up the rotation of who would be hosting each episode, I, I didn't think I would find myself here. Hosting the Krampus episode because I had not seen Krampus until Burge showed it for a pop-up screening back at Harry's Hot Sandwiches. Wow. The old days. Um, The old days, which is funny because Harry's Hot Sandwiches ended up becoming Wonder Bar. So it basically was the theater at this point. Um, So, yeah, the fact that like I pretty much stand and work next to the establishment where I watched Krampus for the first time is kind of a funny thought to me. Um, But Krampus came out in 2015. It was released early December. It tells the story of a family, a very dysfunctional family, who is wrestling with uh, their youngest son or cousin, in some of the case, uh, is wrestling with his Christmas joy. And when his Christmas joy disappears, Krampus, who is a very famous uh, European folklore creature who punishes punishes children uh, if they have misbehaved uh, come Christmas time, um, this like updated, weird, gory version of Krampus comes to descend on the Engel family and to terrorize them for their misdeeds of the past. Um, this film was... Created by and directed by Michael Daugherty, who Mike Burge loves. Uh, He's the guy who did Trick or Treat. Um, I believe Krampus was his second film. I think. Um, Uh, Krampus was his second film. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's done like a bunch of shorts and stuff like that. Trick or Treat was his first movie and then Krampus. And then, of course... Everyone's favorite movie, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Which that's, it's crazy because, I mean, that's three movies, but that's the one I haven't seen. I've yeah. seen Trick or Treat and I've seen Krampus. Um, but he's also more more in line. Uh, he wrote both X-Men 2 and Superman Returns, two of oh, my yes. favorite superhero movies, which I think. That's true. Are so good because uh, because the screenplays are so good. 
And that is kind of like how he sharpened his teeth to be able to, um, at least in the, in the, in the sense of, um, X-Men 2, he was able to probably have enough clout and money to be able to make Trick or Treat, which is an all-timer movie. Not only one of the best Halloween movies, probably the the best Halloween movie ever made and one of the best horror movies ever made. And so this is kind of him going the way of like, let's make a Christmas horror movie, kind of like their natural evolution. Right. Yeah. I I can't fault the film. I think the film is a silly, fun time. Um, this is the type of movie that you put on with your friends or by yourself if you're feeling like it and just kind of like laugh and have like a good time. This movie is silly. Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But Tony Collette plays the, the main matriarch of this family. Uh, she plays the mom. She's married to Adam Scott in this film. Her sister is Allison Tolman, who really yeah. raised uh, in popularity and gained some stardom from being in Fargo, Hell the television yeah. series, which is great because Allison Tolman is wonderful. And David Koechner plays her husband, really just like being the most David Koechnery he could possibly be. I mean, David, you hire David Koechner to play that type of role. You know, the champ kind, mm-hmm. like just like ridiculous outspoken male and in this one he tends to love guns and camo Mm -hmm. and all that good stuff um but yeah and then they have this roving band of children and most of the children are terrible but Mm -hmm. you have like a couple cute kids in this bunch Mm -hmm. but yeah i I think this movie is silly and uh that's fine (laughs) yeah it holds a place it's it's uh also i i want to make sure that uh, aunt dorothy is uh, played oh, by yes. Conchetta Farrell, who passed away last year. Yeah. Um, that was a crazy one for me last year because I'm a big Mystic Pizza and Edward Scissorhands and Krampus fan. And she is just like, you know, you look through her IMDb and it's just all throughout the 90s. She's just holding it down with some weird ass fucking movies and just a couple of these I I have seen, like Mr. Deeds and stuff, where you're just like, yeah, Conchetta! Um, very sad uh, when she passed because she's such a lovely character actor. And uh, this is no exception. Like, it's just like an amazing role and, an, and like such a fun performance to like have all of the, like kind of be like in this movie just filled to the brim with people being nasty to each other like she's the nastiest you know in 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 some ways uh but yeah uh, the i like this movie a lot i think i have a i have a take on this movie um much like my rogue one take where i was like they fucked around with it and so we got kind of a lesser version of what they were going for uh it doesn't make any sense to me that this movie would be made pg-13 by michael doherty so I believe that there is a rated R version of this movie it was probably never shot, but was probably scripted to be such. And when Universal was distributing it, they were like, you need to make a PG-13 so that we can get some more butts in the seats. And so then I think it was kind of neutered in that way, because I, I think that this movie for the first half an hour before all of the supernatural stuff starts, I think it bops, it cranks out. It's funny. It's a little dark and twisted. It's got a great theme up front that you know what it is and you know what kind of movie it's going to be and then when all of the scary stuff starts some of the stuff is scarier 
than what actually happens. Like, I think a perfect example is the Jack, the, the Jack in the Box creature is one of the most horrifying things I've ever seen, but you don't really see it do too much. It's all off camera and stuff like that. I have a feeling that this movie, it always wanted to be silly because that's what Trick or Treat was as well. But that silliness kind of gets like a lot, it gets much more bravado out of the movie when like the kills are also like super over the top gory and like, you know, just like really kind of just like engaging and fun and like clever ways to like kill all of these characters and everything because there really is like everybody just kind of dies. They just disappear and they're no longer in the movie. You don't really see all that much happen. And that doesn't really make any sense to me because all of the creature designs are so horrifying. You would imagine that that kind of goes hand in hand with like some pretty gruesome kills. Uh, I think that's the thing that this movie really suffers the most from is that I feel like as it goes on and gets more and more supernatural and more and more stuff comes in, it kind of just starts to drop the ball on the death scenes. And I feel like a rated R version of this movie would be like, it would be like a stone cold masterpiece like Trick or Treat. I feel like if it was just a little grungier, a little nastier while still having all of its funny kooky quirks and this amazing cast, it'd be a fantastic movie. But the PG-13 that we got, the movie that we have, is is good. It's just good. It's a good movie. It's a fun Christmas horror movie. You know, we've got a couple of those, and some of them are really good, and some of them are really bad. I think this is one of the really good ones, if not at least mid-tier. Um, and I like it a lot. It was a lot of fun to rewatch it, because um, I don't believe Diana had ever seen it. And we watched it together and it's a fun movie to definitely experience for the first time because you don't really know how insane it's going to go. I always forget about the animated segment in the middle when the grandmother is telling her story. It's the coolest shit in the world. It's so cool. And and because that's Michael Doherty's bread and butter because Trick or Treat came from a bunch of animated shorts that he made, you know, um, following Sam, the the little Halloween demon with the bag on his head, Trick or Treater. Uh, and so it's really fun that that's kind of put in there too. Um, the score is fantastic in this as well. Uh, the creature designs are very out of cool. control. The design of Krampus himself is very, very cool. It's Agreed. really funny. Did you watch it on Amazon or iTunes? I watched it on Amazon. So on Amazon and iTunes, the image that they have for it is of Krampus, but from another movie. Yeah. It's really weird because it's like, it's more of like a big horned demon face looking thing. You're like, that's not what Krampus looks like in this. Krampus has horns and stuff, but he's essentially just got like, he's got like a, like Ian McKellen makeup face. Like he's just like. Decrepit old man. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I think the, the best parts of the movie for me, I really like the opening sequence. Um, the opening credit scene with the people storming the mall or storming the store and everyone doing all of the things that like people say they love doing about Christmas, but everyone knows are just total nightmares. Yeah. And like that really bring out the worst in people. Yeah. I think that opening sequence is perfect. I think that's great. 
Um, and then I also, like, like you were saying, I really like the end of the film where it goes completely gonzo and the like the mouth of hell is opened and you have all of the elves in the background dancing and freaking out and Krampus and all of his like weird, terrifying reindeer. All of that stuff is like perfect. Yeah, it's really just like the meat of the middle of the story Yeah, that I think really is kind of like, what what are you doing here? What's the tone here? What were you trying to accomplish? Yeah, it's just like they like disappear the up a chimney. Part. They disappear beneath the snow. They get pulled out of a window. They're underneath a car and you hear a scream. You don't see yeah. anything. And I'm just like, why? Yeah. I don't it's understand. Kind of it's kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah, the character design is so cool. I gotta say. Yeah. And it's got okay. a pretty it's got a pretty awesome ending. Uh, you know, with that whole oh, yes. like epilogue scene in the snow globe and everything like I always forget for a brief moment every time I watch it that that's how it ends. Because I was like, oh, yeah, he falls down and he wakes up and it's like he learned his lesson. But I'm like, wait, that's how it ends? And then it takes me about like 15 seconds. I'm like, oh, no, wait, that's right. They're all like stuck in this shit now forever. It's cool. Yeah, and it's kind of an interesting uh, thought experiment to wonder like, well, why is he the one who really like causes this whole thing to happen and are they really just paying for the grandmother's sins the whole time right was this like a reckoning for her or was it really a reckoning for him because he's like the sweetest little kid and he's still like pretty sweet after like all of the shit goes down it's like no he's still being pretty cute but yeah i like the idea of like the grandmother was allowed to live out like generations of of her family only to be revisited again years later and like mm-hmm. taken back to where she belongs. It's a it's a fun story. Yeah. And I love, you know, it does that very basic thing of like everybody hates getting together with family for the holidays and stuff like that because of all the different things. Like, oh, you don't like your cousins because they're weird or, oh, you're going through your own stuff and now you got to deal with this stuff too. Or like, oh, your uncle's like, you know, a Trump supporter and all that stuff and won't stop talking about guns at any chance that he gets and oh, everybody's talking about how your parents are going through problems. And you're like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> one of the things I really love about it is the scene between Alison Tolman and Tony Collette about the um, Christmas ornaments. Because yeah. that's a that's a huge thing for me, at least. And I believe it's with everybody, which is like, you know, Christmas ornaments get handed down and ornaments that you had growing up when you were a kid, now that you live on your own, you have some of them. And you put those up and then you gain new ones and you put those up too. I think that's like a very much in the same way that trick or treat really kind of isolates in these key things about Halloween that we all know and love or hate and then uses them as kind of plot points and character motivations and character building. Like that's that it does. This movie does the same stuff with Christmas in a very clever way, like with the decorations and, Oh, you've got the star and the gifts and like, uh, like, you know, um, the eggnog and like somebody making food just a little bit too fancy, but it's taking forever and all of that stuff and people being rude to each other. Um, and there's a great scene too, where the sister says, uh, Alison Tolman says, um, I just need to rewrap the presents. Before for the kids so that they can at least open them. And it's just like in the middle of all that, that's what she's doing. And you're just like, there's something about that that's kind of, it tells you everything about a character that you need to know. Even though you've been following the character for like 45 minutes at that point, it kind of just like shifts the character a little bit where you're just like, oh, she's not so bad. Like, yeah, it's okay. 
And the same with David Kochner, like he's, you know, you're just like, well, I mean, he's got a lot of guns, so luckily they got those, you know, that kind of thing. And it, it kind of redirects all of that stuff. I, I like it. There's a lot of, again, the first, the first half hour of this movie just lays everything out so that later on as things start happening, we're like, oh, that's right. Remember this. Remember that. Remember this. And all of those things. And they just come right back up. And that's, he's just a very good screenwriter in that way where it's just like, it just flows and goes out. I just think that in this one, Again, it's the neutered aspect, I think, where it was just, I think they just, they took a lot out of it by making it a PG-13 and just kind of like defanged the thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I think the the first time I watched it, I must have been in one of those moods where sometimes if I'm just in the wrong type of mood, if there are annoying characters that are a part of a film, it really takes me out. And it's just like, I don't want to spend time with these terrible people. Mm-hmm. And it makes me not enjoy the the film as a whole. And this time I I went in knowing that they were terrible. And I already had like kind of like a built up sense in my head. Like I thought they were worse than what they actually were. And then watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, like Allison Tolman character, like really isn't that bad and the david kagner character really isn't that bad the kids are kind of annoying they're all annoying and they're being assholes but that's because and you want to see them die then and you want to see it in these over the top like fake ways and stuff like that that are like yeah and i just feel like that's the one part that's missing from it but everything else the foundation of the movie is just so good that that doesn't completely derail it it's just like it just it holds it back from being great and just keeps it at being good yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Krampus. I think that's it. Krampus. We did it. Another episode <laughs> in the bag. We did it. If if you like Krampus stuff, you could always watch the Christmas special of the Venture Brothers where Ooh. Krampus is kind of like the big deal in that episode. <laughs> Adam that's... Scott, too, is just such a snack in this, too, man. Oh, He's yeah. So Adam Scott. Yeah, he's great. I... I really enjoyed watching him in uh, Big Little Lies. While I wasn't like super hot on that series, I thought Adam Scott was doing some great stuff in there. So yeah, I think he's a good actor. I'd like to see him in more things. All right. Well, let me, as your host for this episode, give you a quick premise of what we're going to be discussing next episode. So the next episode of The Colette Stuff will be titled Fun Mom Dinner. (laughs) We'll be talking about the projects, the Yellow Birds, Fun Mom Dinner, Jasper Jones, Unlocked, Unit Zero, Madame, and Blue Murder Killer Cop. (laughs) Which, it's weird because we are getting into more recent years, but this section of the Colette stuff... I don't know what any of these things are. Do no, you? and they're all from 2017. Um, yeah. No, I have no. I this is one that I. Um, what is unlocked? Let me look at this. Um, I am familiar with unlocked. That okay. is a Numi Rapace, Orlando Bloom, John Malkovich joint. I like all those people. Um, I feel like somebody directed it. But probably not. Oh, it's by that dude that did World Is Not Enough. It's it's by Michael Apted. So okay. it, that's gonna be that's gonna be a goof a uh, a goofball <laughs> thing. Um, that's the only one cool. I'm even remotely familiar with. Madame looks great, and we're trying to track down Unit Zero, 
We'll talk about it more in the next one. But Unit Zero is a David Gordon Green directed pilot with Tony Collette as the star about a bunch of spies. And that's going to be one that I don't know if we can track down because it was never picked up. It was never aired anywhere. Apparently, it was a TV movie that aired once back in 2017. So I feel like a copy exists somewhere. Uh, just going to try and track it down. Yeah, we'll see. We shall we'll see. see what we can do. We gotta keep. We gotta keep everything going because everything else. Like I, I looked at everything else. We've got everything else good to go. I've got the James Gang VHS and the James Gang DVD audio. <laughs> yep, because the audio on the VHS is broken, so I needed to take the audio from the DVD. Right? No, 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 no. The it's the video on the VHS is broken, and the sound is sped up. But it's in English. But the DVD is only in German. So I have to take the video from the German James Gang, which is called like the No Good Crew or something like that. It's really funny. Um, And I have to put that on top of the fast audio and then slow the audio down correctly and line it up. And then we will be able to watch the James Gang. I don't know if I've said that before on this, that that's what I've been working on. Sometimes here and there trying so. to figure that out. So I'm I'm gonna I got it. I got this. Yeah, that's a fun little project. Yeah. So if I'm putting sure. all that work into that and tracking down that Diana and me DVD, which was very hard, uh, we have to be able to get this done. We have to yeah. find unit zero. I have faith. I have faith we will. The circle or, will be complete. I should say you will. <laughs> I'll get it done. I'll do this. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode of The Colette Stuff. Uh, If you are here, that means, well, I should say, if you are here listening to this in September of 2021, it means you are an exclusive content member. And so I want to thank you for that uh, right off the bat. But make sure to tell your friends, uh, spread on the word that we have a great exclusive content feed that refreshes pretty much weekly, which is great. Sometimes it's every couple weeks, but we've got some great content there. $5 a month, but you already know all of that. Um, Just make sure you stay tuned uh, for this next month's bunch of content we have coming out because, Verge, I figured you would want to plug maybe the horror show. Oh, yeah. Uh, We've got the Beacon Horror Show Part 7 launches on October 1st. It's running all month long at Story Screen Beacon Theater. 13 new and old horror films. Some classics. Some we don't know yet because they're new. They can't really be classics. But uh, the four that we've picked, pretty sure they're going to be classics. One's a Halloween movie. One's an Edgar Wright movie. One's an A24 movie about a lamb boy or girl. Um, (laughs) And then one is uh, Titan from the director of Raw. So that you know it's going to be good. Oh, big time. All right. Well, anything else you wanted to plug? I think that's it. No, I mean, uh, my new thing now is uh, find me at Mike Burge on Letterboxd. Uh, I'm fucking around over there every day and having a great time doing it and starting to get more and more followers, which is fun because uh, that never happens with me on any other social media stuff. But on the movie thing, um, people seem to like my reviews of dumb fucking Tony Collette movies that I'm watching and people are seeing me watch them and my review of Triple X State of the Union was just lowercase z, uppercase z, lowercase z. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. 
So you can get some more stuff like that. And if you follow me on Letterboxd. Can, can you reach to your back to pat yeah, it? I can. Oh, yeah. No, I do it all the time. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. <laughs> I think for uh, Imperium, I called it a, a hairy imposter. A hairy imposter. Mm-hmm. Pretty took, accurate. Took, took the social media by blaze. People weren't <laughs> ready for it. No, of course not. All right, Wilburge, thank you for joining me. Thank you. For this episode of the Colette Stuff. And uh, listeners, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Peace. By the way, have you seen Malignant yet? No. I have not been hearing great things. No, no, no. <laughs> you should watch it. Oh, because you you liked it? I liked it a lot, but I think I would really love... Uh, you should watch it and you should make Heath watch it with you. <laughs> is music involved? Is that is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. Just, no. Uh, I would love to hear what you have to say, and I'd also love to hear what you have to say about what Heath had to say. Interesting. That's what um, I just love. It's really difficult to get Heath to watch a horror film, so maybe oh. I'll watch it. He doesn't like scary things. It's pretty spooky. Yeah. It's pretty so spooky. maybe he can like sit on the computer and I'll watch it. Yeah.